Hey, Church of Nolensville family, how's everybody doing this morning, uh, today? Good. good, I'm glad. And folks online, good to see y'all too. I'm looking at you through the interwebs and I can see you sitting on your couch at home. Glad you're here with us as well. If you're new, my name is Jay Fennell and I'm the Discipleship and Connection Minister here at the church. And I'm excited this morning that I get a chance to hang out with y'all and to sit in for for Wade, you know, he just didn't feel like preaching this week. You know that's not true. Man, if he has opportunity to preach, he is jumping at the opportunity. Uh, but he took some much-deserved vacation time. He'll be back next week to continue our sermon series called Now What? It's talking about relationships, talking about family, talking about identity. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about identity and, um, and how that changes when we know and follow Jesus. It all changes. So two weeks ago, he talked about manning up. Last week, he talked about Wonder Woman. And this week, I'm going to talk about identity, but God. And the whole idea of that is that if we're honest with ourselves, and hopefully we have a story where at some point in our lives, Things were going a certain way, but God intervened and things went differently for us. You see that throughout human history, and hopefully that's true in your life today. Maybe you have a but God story. And I'm going to tell you, the first but God story that I remember when I was a kid at four years old, I was one of those four-year-old kids that was just like any other four-year-old kid. I was cute, but I was dumb. And I like to do dumb things. I had, you know, I like the toys and the matchbox cars and the action figures and the, the G.I. Joe. You remember the G.I. Joes? I mean, those were cool. And He-Man. I mean, that was my generation. All Gen Xers in the room are kind of nodding at me right now. Some of you online are nodding too. Write in the comments, if you're a He-Man or G.I. Joe, which one do you prefer? Okay, go ahead and do that. G.I. Joe down here in the front row. Okay. But I also like my shows. My favorite show was Dukes of Hazard. I love the Dukes of Hazard. If you remember the Friday night, li- Friday night lineup back in like the early 80s, it was, it was Incredible Hulk at seven, Dukes of Hazard at eight, and then the Dallas came on at nine. And when I knew Dallas theme song came on, I knew it was time to go to bed. Because I could go to bed, have my head on the pillow, and I would hear the theme song happening in the next room while mom was doing something. Dallas would be playing. Anyway, Dukes of Hazard, and I love the Dukes. I mean, they were just cool guys. Bo Duke was my favorite. He had the blonde hair. He was good looking. He was always driving the car, you know? And I thought that was really awesome. And I wanted to be just like Bo Duke. And so one day I had a great idea. I was going to authentically play Dukes of Hazard in my mom's 1979 Honda Civic hatchback. Man, it was an ugly car, but it was in the driveway, and so I thought I would, I thought I would play. And so, you know, I, I, started, I started playing. I was Bo Duke, and, you know, I was jumping in the windows because, you know, they didn't open the door, right? They, they went through the windows in order to get into the seats, and I was messing with the steering wheel, and I was pushing the buttons and messing with knobs and pushing the pedal down, and I was imagining that Roscoe P. Coltrane and Boss Hogg were following me from the back, and I was, man, I looked like Tom Cruise and Days of Thunder, I was going so fast. And I was having a great time, and, but I made a mistake. And the mistake that I made was I hit the gear shift, 
and I started messing with the gears. It was a manual transmission. And so in the middle of all this straightening the curves and flattening the hills that I was doing, I hit the gear shift from first gear in the park position to neutral. And the reason that was not good is because we lived on a hill. And when I say that we lived on a hill, we didn't just live on a slight slant. We lived on a, like a 30 to 35 degree incline or decline, I guess. So it was like 70 feet. And so when the, when the, when the car starts rolling backwards, it's not stopping, especially if it's in neutral. And that's what happened. So as the car began to kind of come backwards and down the hill, I did the only thing that a four-year-old with Bo Duke super strength would do. I jumped out to try to stop it. And that was a mistake, as you could probably tell. Um, it began to drag me down the hill. And I was about four, and so, you know, I didn't have the muscles that I have now to stop the car, and it was um, a bad experience for me. But one of the two, two miracles happened in the middle of this situation is that out of nowhere, randomly, the tires somehow, some way turned so that the wheels didn't roll over my head, they ran over one of my legs. And then secondly, as it went down the driveway, this car backwards, it turned up the road rather than continuing down the hill and plowing into the neighbor's house that sat below our house. I mean, it was two miracles wrapped up right there in that moment. The only casualty was my mom's plum tree at the bottom of the hill, which helped stop the car to some degree. So I learned a lot from that experience, um, many things, but the main thing that I learned was never, ever buy a Honda Civic hatchback, ever. Don't ever do it. Those cars will kill you. Um, that's my butt God story because in the middle of this situation, when I thought that I was probably going to get really hurt, God intervened and moved the tires away. I fully believe it. I was bloodied, I had a broken leg, but I survived and I was just fine. Do you have a but God story? A moment in your life where things are going in a certain direction and you have no clue what to do, but God intervened and things changed for you, maybe for your family. We're going to take a look this morning at a passage where that term, those two words, but God, jump off the page in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It jumps off the page in verse 4. So what I want you to do real quick this, today is to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And before we even read it this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to circle the words, but God. I want you to circle the words, but God. And I'm going to ask, let's, let's read this together. And, I, and of the honor of God's wood, would you, would you stand up as we read this passage together? Paul is writing these words, and he says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. 
you were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Lord, thank you for this word today. May it penetrate our hearts, remind us of things we've forgotten about, and maybe even help us to grow. Thank you for this word. May it not return void in our own lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. So we're talking about identity. You were this way, Paul says, but God, and now you're this way. Take a look at the very first verse, verse 1. He says that you were dead. Paul says, he's writing to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So right from the beginning, you were dead. Why were you dead? Because you were in your sin. You were physically alive, but you were spiritually dead. Kind of like the walking dead. Didn't even know it, walking around. Spiritually dead means that you're alienated from God. Why is that true? Because sin alienates. That's what sin does. It alienates you from God. It separates you from God. And God is the source of life, isn't he? So if you're in your sin, you're alienated from the source of life. And Paul says you're dead. Jesus himself, even in John chapter 11, says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So when you're not connected to the life of Jesus, Paul says that you're spiritually dead. But how do spiritually dead people live? Well, he talks about it in verse 2. Take a look there. Paul says, you walked according to the ways of the world and walked according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. The word walking is a great metaphor that scripture, this all throughout scripture that describes a relationship. And so when we say that you're walking with God, it means that you're in a long lasting, meaningful, personal relationship with God. It's a metaphor, it's a great metaphor for relationship. Aaron and I, my wife Aaron, like to go on walks together. And it's in those walks that we share life and we have great conversations and deep moments of connection. We even have heated fellowship from time to time in those walks. But it's intimate, it's connection, it's deep, it's real. That's to describe a walk with God. But Paul is saying that those who are dead, and we're talking about us here before we knew Jesus, a common characteristic of dead people is that they walked according to the ways of the world. What does that sort of walking look like? Some of you could probably think of it in your own mind, but Paul is pretty descriptive here when he tells us. Take a look at verse 3. He says that we are led by our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. So dead people, according to Paul, are caught up in their impulses. 
They're never saying no to themselves. The lure of sin is just way too strong for them to overcome. And yet, even as Christ followers, we understand that, don't we? Even though we follow Jesus today, we still feel the effects and the lure of sin in our life, and it doesn't feel good. Paul knew what that felt like. In Romans, he would say something like this, the good I want to do, I don't do. The sin that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. He battled it also, just like you do, just like I do. But the difference between a follower of Jesus and a dead person is that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that's given us victory over sin. And so we have the opportunity and the power to resist the inclinations and the temptations that come only because of Jesus and the life that he's living in us. Apart from ourselves, impossible. No desire at all. We are, we are stuck in a pit with no way out. That's the reality of, of what um, Scripture says. But dead people can't have victory over sin. They're powerless to resist against the seduction of it, and they're carried away, and Paul says that they're dead. But then it even gets worse. Take a look at verse 3. Paul, not only are they dead, not only are they um, you know, carried away by the inclinations of their flesh, but they're also children under wrath as others were also. So, so for those without Jesus, Paul says, these dead people without Jesus, he says that God's wrath is theirs to bear. God is a loving God, yes. God is a merciful God, yes. God is a gracious God, yes. But God is also a just God. And he punishes sin in our lives. He punishes sin in the world, and he's obligated to do it because of his perfect nature. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that even though we as rebellious sinners rebelled against God, God in his love and his sovereignty and his mercy reached down for us out of the pit and set us up and saved us. And instead of the wrath of God being poured out on us where it rightly deserved, it was poured out on Jesus on our behalf. And so therefore, as believers in Christ, we can stand before God as righteous men and women, boys and girls, as he looks at us, even though we feel sin in our lives, he looks at us as a righteous person only because of Jesus, not because of us. And he's looking at us in the same way that he looks at us. That should bring, if anything, it should bring excitement and joy to your hearts, knowing that you are approved by God. You belong to him and that he wants you. He wants you. So let's, let's back it up. Let's look at our predicament before we knew Jesus, okay? This was our identity. This was our identity before we knew Jesus. To sum it up, we were dead. We were immersed in sin. We were walking in worldly ways. We were carrying out the fleshly desires in our hearts, and we were under the wrath of God. Not a good situation to be in. And what made it all worse is that we put ourselves there. We did it to ourselves. This was our pursuit. This was our, we were the active agent in it. And not only that, this was our desire. We desired to be in this position apart from God. But here's the pivot point. Here's the pivot point right here in verse four. But God, in the midst of the 
messiness, in the midst of the pit of despair that we found ourselves, in the midst of the sin and transgression that we found ourselves in, God showed up mightily and saved us. Look what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Do you have a but God story? Some of you this morning could be really struggling with some things, and you're praying, Lord, and you're waiting but God, who is rich in mercy, is going to come and show up for me, and he will. Some of you have a story to tell when you had a relationship issue or a financial crisis or a problem at work or a, your world was crumbling around you and you didn't know what to do, but God showed up and things changed for you. Is that true for you this morning? I hope so. I hope that it is. The truth is, if you're saved, you do have a but God story because this right here, what we're reading, is your story. One of the things I want us to notice this morning about these verse 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 is who is the initiator? It's God. Notice in 1 through 3, we're the initiator. We're the active agent of the position that we put ourselves in. But now God is the initiator. Look at verse 5. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavens, that he might display the miserable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ. And then verse 8, he gives us the gift of salvation as a gift. We're passive. He's active. He says, you have, Paul says, you have been saved. God did this. And he makes it clear, Paul says, makes it very clear to say, you didn't do this. Did you see what he says here? And this is not from yourselves. This is all God. He did all of this. You, for by grace, you have been saved. Verse, and I love the reason why. Why would God stoop down to save a bunch of rebellious sinners like us? Verse four says it because of his great love for us. He loves us this morning. You are saved by grace. And one of the things I love, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Romans 6.23. Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin pays wages. Sin gives us what we deserve, but God gives gifts. He gives us what we don't deserve. Sin pays wages, God gives gifts, completely different. And look at verse 9. Not from works that so, so that no one can boast. So if salvation is a gift given to us by God himself. Not that we deserved it, but because of his grace, he gives it to us. Where is room for boasting? How can we say, I did this, I worked for this, I earned this? It's not there. Completely impossible to make that claim. It was all God. He wanted us enough that he reached down and changed us and transformed our lives. We went from a dead person to an alive person because of Jesus. 
this morning. So here's the truth I want you to understand that hopefully you do understand, but when you were saved, you were saved by grace through faith. You didn't earn it, but yet you were saved for something. God has work for us to do. We, he has a mission, and his mission has a church, and we are the church. He has work for us to do, and so the, the challenge for each of us is to understand what that is. We've been saved, we've been given new life, our hearts have been transformed, and the question then becomes, Lord, what would you have me do now? What do I do now? What work do you have specifically for me? Some of you have figured that out already. Others of you are still trying to figure it out. It's an awesome opportunity to, to be a part of what God is doing. And that's what I love so much about the church at Nolensville and all the things that God is doing through us. And these baptisms this morning is just proof of God's work in the lives of human hearts to turn people toward himself. And this didn't happen just some randomly. This happened as a result of God's people working and praying and serving and taking part. So all of us here in this room this morning participated in that baptism by the simple fact that you're a believer and you're a part of this church and you're serving and you're being active in what God is doing here. You can't take credit for it, but you were an influential person in it. That's awesome to think about. Last verse, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of us, ahead of a, a time for us to do. So now our identity is totally changed. Our identity has been transformed. We're no longer dead person walking. We're alive. We're God's masterpiece. We're God's workmanship. We're God's walking miracle of his grace. I want to close with this story of a young man who was saved and was excited about this new salvation that he had experienced. And he was at church one Sunday giving his testimony and he was just talking about how God's gift of salvation was a gift and how he was blessed by it and he gave God all the glory and he said nothing about anything he had done and there was one person listening to the story who sat in the, sat in the crowd and he was listening and he was a little bit of a legalist and a skeptic. And afterward he walked up to the man and he said, um, hey, you know, you seem to indicate that God did everything when he saved you. Didn't you do your part before he did his part? And the new Christian was excited to answer that question. He said, you know what? Yes, I did. I ran for 30 years from God. I was caught up in my sin. I was, uh, I was broken and without hope, and God ran after me, and he tracked me down, and he saved me. I did my part, but he did his part. If you're a saved person today, if you're watching online and you're a saved person, you understand that story because that's your story. Only a saved person would understand what that feels like. My challenge to all of us today is this, is that to give fresh thought 
and to be in awe of what God has done for you. If he has saved you, if you know him as Lord and Savior, understand where you came from. Understand where your identity was. Your identity was dead. You were a dead person walking. You were apart from Jesus, caught up in your sin, bearing to receive God's wrath. And now, as a believer, you're alive. And God blew the breath of life into your life, into your spirit, and now you're alive. No, no longer dead. Dead people don't raise themselves from the grave. Only one person did that, right? And that was Jesus. We, we can't do it. It's got to be Jesus' life in us that pulls us up out of that grave and gives us life and a new purpose for life. So remember that. Think on that. Think about your but God story. What is God doing in your life right now? What has he done in your life? Even today, go home and just thank him. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing what you're doing in my life. Others of you in the room this, today or even online, you don't have a but God story. You've never really experienced the life that Jesus provides, that offers in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. You've never experienced the love of God in your life in a personal way. Wade describes that love. You've probably heard it many times. He says, you know what? God has a never-ending, never-leaving, never-stopping, always-and-forever love. At least once a month, Wade but I like it. It's good. Keep, keep doing it as a reminder. It's the sort of love that can put us on a different path. It gives us a new identity. And if there's anyone in the room that's never made that decision, today is the day to do that. We, I'll be here and others will be here after our service is over to talk to you and to spend time with you in a conversation about what that looks like. Some of you that are watching online, even right now, are asking these questions and you want the experience of having true life to be from a dead to, to life. And today is the day. And so if that's you, my encouragement to you is to text today to 623-623. We'll follow up with you. We'll start the conversation. We'll pray for you. We want to help you on this journey that God wants to have you on. Man, death to life. He raises dead people from the grave. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are indeed a God who raises the dead. Paul was really clear with these Ephesians and with us that before we knew Jesus, we were dead. But now we have life only because of Jesus. Thank you for the victory that we have in him. Thank you for the relationship. Thank you, Lord, for the new identity that you have given us as a masterpiece, as a workmanship. Our prayer today, Lord, is that we would receive that and live that way. Thank you for your love. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.